0: where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon.
1: Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm speaking today with two great friends, and colleagues, Ramesh Das and Roshi Joan Halifax, PhD. So I just realized I should probably call her Dr. Roshi in this day and age. <laughs> don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> We're in conversation today about the amazing new book, which was just released in January of 2021 Being Ramdas, co authored by Ramdas and Ramesh Das, also known as Ramesh to his friends. Ramesh has been navigating a spiritual path for 50 years. I believe Ramesh was actually. Known as Jim when he was at my very first retreat in January 1971, so that's correct. We, we've known each other a while. <laughs> uh, Ramesh I, met Ramdas. I was
2: known as Joan. <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> Doctor Joan. <laughs> <laughs> Ramesh met Ramdas in 1968 and spent time with Neem Karoli Baba in India from 1970 to 1972. He's worked as an artist, photographer. If you gotten
3: on the bus, you would have joined us too.
1: Oh, I know. Well, that's a whole story too. <laughs> like, ah, maybe we'll get into that. <laughs> you and I can both tell that story from different angles. <laughs> like, Definitely. Uh, Ramesh has worked as an artist, photographer, environmentalist, and writer, and collaborated on many projects with Ramdas over the years, including the original Be Here Now. Also, here today for his podcast is my great friend, Roshi John Halifax PhD, who was a close confidant and colleague to Ramdas throughout his life. Roshi is a Buddhist teacher, Zen priest, anthropologist, and pioneer in the field of end of life care. She's the founder, abbot, and head teacher of Upaya Institute and Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico, a beautiful, beautiful place. She received her PhD in medical anthropology in 1973, and has lectured on the subject of death and dying at many academic institutions and medical centers around the world. Roshi is the author of several books, including her most recent title, the 2018 release, Standing at the Edge. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. It's so great to be talking to you.
2: Yeah, Sharon, it is uh, the, the miracle and in a way the silver lining of a very strange time
1: in our world. Indeed. Um so I have a a hard copy of this book. I'm reading it on Kindle. And uh does
3: that have the photos in it? Uh
1: yes. Good. But it's it's a a giant book. And it's so beautifully produced. It's really
2: fabulous. I mean the the photo on the jacket is Yes unbelievable. It's just like, it is loving awareness. So RD. How, how did you pick that uh, image of the many photographs of him?
3: Did you well, take it, this photo,
2: Ramesh?
1: It,
3: it is one that I took. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, you know, the intention was really to uh, grab people across a bookstore aisle. But of course, there are not too many bookstores open right now. But anyway- yeah.
1: It's really gorgeous. So maybe uh, we could start. Ramdas has played such a central role in each of our lives as a friend, a mentor, a colleague. Uh, maybe we could start with each of you sharing a little bit about how you first met R.D. So you uh, e. Ramesh were, did you actually meet him when you were at Wesleyan as a student? Yeah, um, but Roshi met him earlier than I did. Oh, really? She knew him oh. when he was Richard. Oh, let's start with Dr. Roshi then.
2: Well, you know, uh, a long story, but in a few words, uh, I was married to Stan Grof, as uh, some of you know, who was a pioneer in the field of LSD research, particularly around issues um, related to death and dying, but also addiction. And also, you know, Stan worked uh, in Czechoslovakia with artists and um, uh, with psychotherapists and so, uh needless to say, um, uh, uh, Ramdas and Tim were doing something the same but also different, really different so uh, Stan is you know at that time, and I think still has this incredibly curious mind and um, is open to everything. so we had this meeting with this uh, really. Uh, Edgy, wild, uh, funny, super smart, um, pioneer in the field, and that was Ramdas. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of it, it, it was around psychedelics, and part of it was around um, end of life. You know, he was really interested in states of consciousness, and had this uh, sort of the uh, seed. Um, that was growing into a, a, a forest, if you will, inside of him. That was related to uh, care of the dying. So it, it, I, I loved him. I have to tell you, you know, Stan is, you know, Stan's a really interesting person, but he he wasn't that much fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> We're still friends, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lifetimes later, but um, uh-huh. Ram Das just was mischief, absolute, uh-huh. uh, total mischief. And I actually was, uh, uh, you know, around the Tim situation, Tim Leary situation. You know, Tim was he was uh, super mischievous, and the you know the feeling I had also he was mischief with danger, so. Uh Um, I had a warier uh, relationship with Tim through the years, but with R.D., it was just falling in love all Mm -hmm. of the time. And, you know, wherever we met, however we were, you know, teaching together, wherever we were playing, sitting at the breakfast table in Maui. uh, And, you know, every year I would propose to him and he would flinch.
3: <laughs> I thought he accepted a couple of times.
2: Well, no, the last time that I saw him, uh, he proposed to me, and I flinched. <laughs> yeah, it just uh, anyway, for our precious friend gone, but very present,
1: very much so. Uh, so Ramesh, yes, uh, well, I I didn't only met Ramdas;
3: I hadn't met Richard.
1: Right, uh, right. I
3: I was. Uh, at the first talk that he gave when he returned from India, um, he had done his uh, master's degree uh, in psychology with uh, uh, David McClelland, who mm-hmm. uh, you probably both know also or knew. And um, uh, people who had been students of Ramdas were by then teaching psychology at Wesleyan. And they wrote to him uh, this is after he'd been uh, axed from Harvard. And uh, asked him to come speak at Wesleyan. And he got the letter at the uh, ashram in the
1: Himalayas.
3: (laughs) So when he came back in uh, uh, early 1968, he uh, uh, agreed to come talk at Wesleyan. And everyone was thinking we were going to get the uh, uh, better living through modern chemistry talk. Mm Mm-hmm. And instead, I got uh, the guru from India. And uh, this guy, uh, you know, walks in, and this is uh, March and New England, frozen mud. (laughs) And uh, he walks in barefoot in a white dress with a long beard. (laughs) And he did not look like a Harvard professor anymore. And that talk... um, uh, started at seven or seven thirty in the evening and went on until three in the morning.
1: Oh my gosh! Um,
3: <laughs> and um, when I got to India two years later, or two and a half years later, um, I had the same feeling when I saw Maharaji, and it was so clear that he had come through Ramdas. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, so interesting. So. I mean, in, in starting to read the book, it was uh, it was so powerful for me. In part, because it's also the story of an era. You know, Ramdas was a pioneer and embodied so much of that particular time, which which was such a a powerful, transformative time in in so many ways. And um, I thought of uh, obviously the psychedelics and. Consciousness exploration and India, and uh, and later he was such a pioneer in working with people who were dying, working with people in prison, working with homeless people. For me, he was always the first one. Yeah, doing that mm-hmm. and and it was such a such a powerful sense. Reading this, it was like, oh yeah, that's like my youth, you know, and that's yeah, that's the I mean, time in this country that was so important.
3: It was also, you know, remember, it was tremendous political upheaval, not mm-hmm. so unlike right now, but. Uh, um the war in
1: Vietnam was going on?
3: I had to get out of the draft before I could go to India.
1: Oh, wow. Which oh. I
3: did. <laughs> I, I got a psycho 4F. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I hesitate to ask her how you did that, but. <laughs> well, why didn't you tell us we're <laughs>
3: So. Uh, I did get some uh letters from uh various I, I cultivated various shrinks to uh-huh. uh, get myself certified but um by <sighs> then I had been studying with uh Ramdas and learning yoga and uh some meditation so um uh I was uh I got called and I went for a physical and um I'm standing around in my uh underwear uh, with my mala beads <laughs> Uh, for the pretty much all day, praying and doing Ram uh, mantra with great intensity, <laughs> and the shrink was the last person you get to in the line, and I think the uh, wow. the guy who was uh, doing that um, uh, job was probably you know someone who was doing his uh, some medical student who was doing his alternative service as a uh, a draft board shrink. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time I got there, I could barely see him. I mean, I was pretty uh, out there from doing uh-huh. mantra with that intensity for that amount of time, which uh, I'm, I am not the most assiduous uh, sadhu. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, anyway, so uh, he, he wrote uh, 1Y, which was the preliminary to 4F, which means you go after the women and children.
0: <laughs> oh. Oh,
3: so I was certified uh, crazy, and I could go to India.
2: <laughs> so and in between, you were <laughs> certified crazy,
1: <laughs> I still am. Yeah.
2: In between meeting
1: meeting Ramdas at Wesleyan and uh, av- avoiding the draft, um, since you say uh, your bio says you worked with him on "Be Here Now," you must have developed. I, I had a very, room.
3: I had a minor role on Be Here Now. I mean, I did f- photographs and some of the mm-hmm. um, uh, remote work on it to uh, uh, put together the package. You know, it was in that pizza box from yeah. Mama Foundation yeah. originally. Yeah. And uh, it came along with all kinds of graphics and photographs, mm-hmm. uh, which was some of the part that I worked on it. um. Uh, when it after it sold out it turned into uh, a book and there's a whole saga around that but um, um and the book is be here now which is still uh up there in the best sellers um uh, you know for spiritual books i guess at this point it's amazing it's uh just uh keeps finding new generations of seekers.
1: Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. So after meeting Ram Dass at Wesleyan, did you follow him to New Hampshire or something?
3: Yeah. Um, after the talk, he stayed over with uh, the uh, friends that he had known. And I, I went over to see him the next morning. And then I started driving up to New Hampshire to visit him. And uh, he taught me yoga and meditation as he'd learned it. Uh, in India, and that was my introduction to um, Maharaji. And uh, uh, there were two uh, summer camps at their family farm, uh, in uh, I guess sixty-eight and sixty-nine, um, and there were maybe thirty or forty people. But um, um, we were camping up in the woods and on George Albert's. Uh, Farm above the three hole golf golf course, <laughs> and um, uh, Danny Goldman was uh, you know mowing the lawn on the tractor, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it was it was quite a scene. And then on the weekends, uh, uh, hordes of people would come up the driveway, and Ramdas would give uh, talks under a tree. Mm.
2: Yeah, Ramesh, I wanted to ask you about um, R.D.'s dad. I mean, what do you think his take was on this whole scene that developed at the farm?
3: Um, He was astonishingly open and generous. I mean, he could have been uptight and not, you know, it it was an invasion. It was basically (laughs) a home invasion and by, you know, a, a gang of crazed hippies and uh he was just amazingly open he used to, um when i was up uh visiting he would often take everybody out for dinner uh, to the local italian place that he liked and um he didn't I, I don't think he understood uh an iota of what was going on but it was – because it was so foreign to him coming out of a, uh, you know, a kind of uh, 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 Jewish background and he was a lawyer and had been a CEO of the New Haven Railroad and he, he was uh, from a, a different uh, era entirely. But I think it was so loving and uh, open that he felt that.
1: Well, you've got to think his son has already been fired from Harvard. Co- goes to India comes back wearing a dress, you know, <laughs> yep, and it's a great image always of of uh George's dad meeting him at the airport and and yeah it says
3: click, get in the car before somebody sees you
1: <laughs> yeah really, <laughs> and then you know just these hordes of people arriving and uh it it's I should also say it was a time of such huge turmoil in the country, you're right, like the war in Vietnam was going on. There was the draft, which was a terrifying proposition. There was, um, you know, it's almost like th- these breakthrough times with all the, uh, the stress and the alienation and, and families. And it was just like a lot going on. And then there were these respites, you know, like, like that farm, which was a family farm and, uh, where people apparently would go and, uh, do headstands and things like
3: that yeah that, that there uh, there is a little bit of uh uh footage from that summer um uh, some yeah. of it is in that film sunseed mm-hmm. and um there was a couple that came up and uh made a film about ramdas called evolution of a yogi and um I uh, you know I first of all we were also astonishingly young yeah and that happens I, <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: somehow
1: it certainly happened fast <laughs> yeah dreamlike it's very dreamlike
3: um but uh, there were real seeds of uh you know things that were sown in the culture I think at that time oh, and uh, one of those summers was the summer of uh, Woodstock which was yeah. only a few hours away mm-hmm. And a couple of people defected for the weekend to, to- go to Woodstock? To go
1: to Woodstock, yeah.
2: But it's <laughs> almost as though the scene at the farm prefigured Woodstock.
1: Yeah. Well, on a personal note, I would like to say I was at Woodstock. Really? Um, yes, indeed. But <laughs> I was not at the farm. Uh, did did uh, yes, you get the, breakfast in bed from Wavy Gravy? Yeah, I the, did, in the mud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, no doubt about that. I mean, he, he saved us. He fed us. Yeah. Um, but I didn't meet Ram Dass until my first retreat, uh, which was in India. In uh, January of 1971, he was uh, back in India after going back to the States. Um, he returned and we were all sitting with this Burmese teacher, S.N. Goenka, who had just left Burma and was teaching an intensive 10-day insight meditation. Retreat. So that was my first exposure to meditation, and Mm -hmm. uh, the pizza box from Lama Foundation that had been here now arrived when we were all there together, and I can remember, you know, Ramdas getting it, and we're all looking at it, and it was like, it it was just like this amazing moment in time.
3: Yeah, and a, a seminal one, as it turned out. Yeah, you know, when you track the people that were at that retreat you know they there's certainly a number of of you yeah i m s yeah. came out of that and yeah um, yeah definitely um Mirabai's work Mirabai yeah. bush was yeah. there, and uh danny goldman's uh managed to do his uh um Harvard thesis on meditation coming yeah. out of that <laughs> retreat yeah <laughs>
1: It it was kind of extraordinary and a long time ago, which is also just a further reflection on how how very strange. So in those days Ramdas was Ramdas because he had already been to India and met his guru named Karali Baba, who's also known as Maharaji. Um and what do you think the thing, Ramesh is like uh, as I've heard and read in the book when when Maharaji told Ramdas to leave India? you know, two years prior to, to our meeting or, or however long ago mm-hmm. that was. And he said, don't tell anyone about me. And then Ramdas proceeded to tell everyone about him. <laughs> well, he, he was sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, he was treading
3: carefully on the boundaries of that. Uh, and um, he, um, he couldn't talk about anything else, for one thing. But he didn't give people Maharaji's name or where he was. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Interesting. And, uh, some people figured that out for themselves. And um, uh-huh. uh, he allowed um, uh, me and uh, Das and Danny Goleman to write to um, the guy who had been his translator when he first met Maharaji, K.K. Uh-huh. Uh, K. Sa, Krishna Kumar Sa, who is this very sweet uh, uh-huh. Indian uh-huh. Um, who th- he and Ramdas remained uh, almost like brothers and mm-hmm. uh, guru brothers, really, and didn't uh, he take, died just hey, a month after Ramdas. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, so we wrote to KK, and KK took our letters to Maharaji, mm. and um, um, we later found out that uh, when KK put the letters in front of Maharaji and explained. What they were, in, Maharaji said, um, what do I have to do with these people? Tell them not to come. <laughs> and K.K. interceded. He
0: mm-hmm. was
3: feeding Maharaji an apple and he uh, stopped feeding him the apple and he kind of put his head down and uh, pouted, which K.K. was uh, quite adept at when he wanted to. And he, uh, Maharaji said, okay, finally saw that KK was disturbed and said, all right, what's the matter? And KK said, Maharaji, I, they're Ram Dass students. I can't tell them not to come. Uh-huh. And uh, Maharaji, this went back and forth for a while. And uh, finally, Maharaji said, okay, tell them anything you want. And and KK wrote to us and said um something uh, along the line of um Maharaji does not encourage anyone to come, but his doors are always open.
1: Oh nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and that was all we needed.
2: <laughs> oh gosh, that is so gorgeous. You know, Abramesh. In reading this book, which, by the way, I want to mention again, is a beautiful physical object. I, I mean, you know, you you hold it, you look at its cover, the feeling uh, of the whole presentation of the book is just is just wonderful.
3: Oh, I'm so glad but, to hear that.
2: But I want to say, reading it is something else. Um, you know, I, I am in awe of how you were able to um, draw these stories out of R.D., who was so seriously a- aphasic. Um, yep. You know, uh, how did you do that? Slowly. Uh, you know, the, the gaps between <laughs> thoughts and words were uh, not insignificant. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I love what Wavy said about him, that he used to be the master of the one-liner and he became the master of the ocean liner. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was a long uh, process. And uh, I um, certainly used it as an excuse to spend more time with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And that occurred over about uh, 10 years. And uh, honestly, I I talked him into doing it because he didn't really want to. (laughs) I, oh, really? you know, <laughs> he's Mr. Live in the Moment, Be Here Now. Uh it, you know, looking back at the past was not mm-hmm. uh, really uh on his um uh, main menu. Uh but um we got around to uh seeing it as a project where he could look back at his life through Maharaji's eyes.
1: Mm-hmm. That was kind of
3: the tact that we Took with it, and um, as we got into it, I think he found it really um, um, valuable as a way of um, kind of not just excavating his past, but of, of releasing it,
2: hmm.
3: especially some of the old family stuff that he had kind of you know n- not dealt with entirely. Mm-hmm. And when we went back through some of the um, um, you know, really um, crucial experiences like his first psilocybin trip and meeting Maharaji and uh, uh, his mother's death. Um, He really found uh, a a lot of new uh, territory in those experiences and and I think a different... uh, uh, View of them in some ways that uh, um, were very insightful, and um, I think he enjoyed that process. I mean, we had a great time doing it together, and we laughed a lot. It was—I I don't know if that comes through very well, but
2: mm-hmm. you know, in reading the uh, the about his trips, so to speak. I mean, I, I actually felt like I was experiencing a contact high. It was, it was really fascinating, you know, to um, uh, be in his, do, you know, this kind of perspective taking or mind reading or sort of empathic resonance
3: mm-hmm. with
2: him. And, you know, suddenly, um, you know, I felt like I was tripping. Mm. Re- re- reading, you know, not only the the arc of the experience, but also, you know, uh, you just did Ramesh such a masterful job of uh, bringing a, a coherent language into uh, this, um, you know, into his expressions. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's I think it's a remarkable book. I mean, it's so evocative. You know, you could really. I felt like uh, not only you know i went on his trips but i
3: which you, you did know, a bit anyway
2: well that's true but also <laughs> uh you know reading this 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 particular um uh narrative that uh you crafted with him um was compelling it's it's brilliant i have to say totally brilliant you know and delving into his parents' lives and, you know, also uh, how he somehow, you know, was able to, um, and also, again, through your relationship with him, um, evoke his mother's uh, internal experience. Mm -hmm. Because he's talked so often about her, almost like the Dalai Lama speaks about his mother. But, um, you know, there was... Another side to her, which uh, I hadn't really been in touch with until I read the book. And I thought, oh, yeah, there's a much wider spectrum of, of life experience of light and darkness in um, his relationship with his mother and what, her mother, what his mother's experience was.
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, I I don't know even what he experienced of some of that, but it it uh, clarified things about his mm-hmm. uh, character to me uh, also as we were going through that. I mean, especially his relationship with his mother.
1: Well, I concur. I think it's an amazing book and, and you've done what every person writing a, a biography or an autobiography or a memoir. Um, aspires to, which is in a way it it becomes everyone's story, I mean, not in the particulars, of course, you know, but it it evokes things within us about challenge, about daring, about ridicule, about you know uh, about all kinds of things and and he was so symbolic in so many ways of that time and and I would say he really you know something you said earlier uh she was really responsible in so many ways for. The creation of a center like the Insight Meditation Society in a couple of different ways. One is that um, my colleague Joseph Goldstein came back from India about six months before I did, and um, he uh, was traveling across the country with some friends, and he stopped in Boulder where Naropa Institute was just, had just opened an office. It was going to that summer launch; its its first um actual you know uh program and um he says that he stopped in the office and he asked if they might be interested in him teaching a course he'd been in India for like seven or eight years he'd practiced he'd studied his own teacher told him to teach and and they said no not really uh <laughs> you know what they said was it being founded by Trunk Rinpoche who's a Tibet, and they said we already have this Theravada named Jack Cornfield. We, it's enough. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, so Joseph went on to Berkeley, and as he tells the story, he called Ramdas because we had all met and become friends in India, and Ramdas had some very forbidding message on his answering machine, as was in those days, like not talking to anybody, you know, don't leave a message, something like that. And um, Joseph went off to Telegraph Avenue and. Ended up needing to use a bathroom and uh, went into a cafe, and they said no, uh, only for customers. And I, to this day, I think, why do you like buy a muffin or something like that? But instead, he went to another cafe, and there was Ramdas. And, oh. and uh, so they sat down and talked, and Ramdas was about to go to Boulder to teach this mega class at Neuropa okay. Institute of like a thousand people. And he had these little divisions, like the chanting division led by And Yeah, we were all uh, his uh, teaching assistants. That's right. So he said to Joseph, (laughs) do you want to teach the meditation one, (laughs) the meditation subgroup? So Joseph said yes. So that was Joseph's first teaching job in the States. And everything was born from there. Um, And then when we were... You know, he went to of, camp on his living room floor. I didn't did. Yeah, yeah, I came back. You know, from India, and Joseph was living in student housing at Naropa, and you know, at the institute, which is what everyone was doing. Jack was living down the hall, and several of us um, decided, as is true. Uh, Joseph's the only one of our friends, you know, close friends who has a job in an apartment. Let's all go to Boulder. <laughs> so we went to Boulder and it, literally at one point, nine of us moved into his one bedroom apartment, <laughs> and, which was torture for Joseph. You know, Joseph, uh, what did you do? Yes. And uh, the way he tells the story was um, he really suffered until he finally let go of the thought that it was his apartment. And then we're all just living together. So then it was fine. Um, And that was about two weeks before the end of the first summer session. And I stayed on for the second session uh, where Joseph was teaching. I was his teaching assistant. Mm -hmm. And then it all happened from there. And then when we were thinking of. Is that when you met Jack? Yeah, that's when I met Jack. He was living down the hall. Uh, And other people were there. Mark Epstein was there as a student. You know, It was like another one of those moments in time that was really important. And when we were thinking of starting a center uh years later, you know, Remdas was kind of the chief cheerleader. And uh I don't think much would have happened without him. And I think we can say, because he was a pioneer, uh, you know, and feels like Roshi in, in uh Being with Dying. And and he he played a very important role in in so many things. It's interesting when I went back to uh,
3: look at uh, uh, some of the "Be Here Now" text. When when you read the the uh, what he put down about yoga practice at that time, mm-hmm. that was I I think a, a great deal of the basis of what has become uh, yoga in the states because uh, mm-hmm. it was very clear. It was a very simple uh, Ashtanga. Practice And it was also integrated uh, pranayama and meditation and the yamas and niyamas. It was really the whole mm-hmm. uh, yoga uh, system laid out. And um, um, it, it was, you know, now that yoga is in every community in the country, mm-hmm. practically. Mm-hmm. It really, uh, you can see the way those seeds uh, sprouted.
0: Mm hmm.
2: You know, and the, the other piece that I feel is so critical is his uh, involvement in the end of life care field. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in, yeah. in the prison work, you know, I, I think that, quote, spiritual people um uh not speaking about say Thich Nhat han and joanna macy but you know the sort of run of the mill mm-hmm. spiritual person is you know probably somewhat dissociated from social and environmental responsibility mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he just laid it straight in the middle of his into the middle of his world and you know he i mean he brought of course this work to Dale Borglum, which, who did you know his the wonderful mm-hmm. Living Dying Project. Still Stan and that. I were completely uh. lit by what, excuse me, by, <laughs> <laughs> by what he was doing. You know, because we were doing the LSD-assisted psychotherapy with people dying of cancer. And, you know, we were reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And mm-hmm. we were, you know, looking at what RD was saying. About you know these these explorations in consciousness, and um, you know later for me, um, uh, his work in the prison system made it possible for me to take this jump uh, here in New Mexico to working in the penitentiary of New Mexico. It just seems so logical to um, bring this kind of practice into the world of so-called corrections. But he was the pioneer. He was the instigator, the inspirator.
3: Yeah, and that that one is still going. Also, that prison ashram project is uh, uh, still being run by Sita Lozov in North Carolina. And, um, but I think that it came from uh, you know uh, Maharaji was pretty down to earth uh, in his instruction. And basically, it was love, serve, remember, remember. from right from the beginning. And that service part, I mean, he mit- named Ram Dass, uh servant of God, of Ram. And uh, we're all in the, you know, all the Dases are mm-hmm. in the servant class.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, it's, you uh, know, it became a, not just a social meme, but a global meme. You know, it wasn't, and it wasn't just for, you know, the Neem Karoli Baba Ram Dass clan, so to speak. I mean,
3: that... Yeah, no, that quickly vanished into oblivion because Ramdas Ramdas was so eclectic. Yeah. And I think that even in the retreats on Maui in these later years, this combination of uh, Buddhism and bhakti and uh, wisdom and love have been so powerful that coming together of so many traditions and uh, without, um, you know, trying to turn it into some cult or, um, I mean, we are a cult, I guess. Yeah,
1: I say, excuse <laughs> me.
3: <laughs> I'm happy to be in that cult. <laughs> what did, Bhagwan Das at one point called it the naked mind sect.
1: <laughs> oh, that's nice.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> So I'm curious, Ramesh, you know, what is the one thing that um, got left out of the book that you wish had been in there?
3: Ah. Um, Hmm. I hadn't really
1: thought about that one. You have to skip to the end of the book now to see if what I would have wanted to see in there. Maybe it's already in there. Tell me. Well, you know... uh, one of the um striking experiences, which I actually quote a lot these days of being in Maui, which is where Ramdas moved ultimately after his stroke and and didn't really leave and uh except i guess months right toward the end of his life but um uh, and he we would you know co teach these retreats and uh in those years those those last years he was so made of light and so transparent and <laughs> um and it was it was just awesome, you know, given uh as Jones said, Roshi Jones said his, you know, his aphasia was significant. And he was somebody who'd had really like a golden tongue. This was his magical yeah. power. was his ability Yeah, he was a storyteller. And, and, you know, then there was all this hesitation and there was um all those pauses and he was living in a wheelchair and there was you know, all the physical pain and whatever, but he was, he was like made of love. It was just extraordinary. And one of my strong memories from one of those retreats was I was sitting way in the back of like 350 people and Ramdas was speaking and he said, uh, with a lot more pauses than I'm about to do, um, you know, the hardest thing after my stroke, harder than the physical pain, harder than um, the, difference in in my ability to speak. Harder than anything was having to accept help. He he said it was the hardest thing and the most liberating. And Mm. he went on to say one of my famous books is called How Can I Help? Now I feel like writing a book called How Can You Help Me? (laughs) And and I thought, oh, you know, that's interesting, that sense of him being so transparent. It's almost like Mm -hmm. there was a barrier within – Before, where it was so much easier for him to give than to receive. Yeah. And when that barrier collapsed or dissolved, then it was just like there was nothing in the way. And I I quote that a lot, Roshi, is, you know, as you do, I work some amount with caregivers and the very nature of their being, whether they're caregiving someone at home or professionally, uh, is that giving. Yeah, And it can be so much harder to receive. And I thought, oh, yeah. he, he even modeled that toward the end. Yeah. You the, know, um, uh,
2: yeah. he he was um, in the ICU a uh, couple of years ago. And Frank Ostaseski and I uh, were supposed to do a program on, oh, what, what, what was it called? The grace of mortality or the blessing of mortality or oh, something yeah. like that. I was, uh, and, you know, Frank and I, <laughs> uh land in maui and um you know go to the hospital and uh, there he is uh he's just been uh um you know taken out of the icu into a regular room but has just incredible edema on one side of his body mm. um he's almost died uh frank and i are looking at each other like well i guess uh i guess we get to do this thing without our buddy here and um, then uh, uh, later that day, he got discharged, came back to the house, and Frank and I are there. And uh, he's tired. He goes to bed. And the next morning, um, uh, we're all having breakfast. And he says, uh, in his aphasic, uh, mischievous way, uh, I'll be doing that program with you.
0: Ooh. Frank and I look <laughs> at
2: each other like, oi, gewalt. <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> This is incredible. So, um, you know, we had revised the, 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 the uh, program, so it would be just Frank and me. We re-revised it, and we sort of set it up so it wouldn't be too taxing on Baba. And then the first evening, uh, I remember we were in the uh, – the program was going to happen in the Makawau Church. The church was jammed, and it was raining like heck. And uh, we pulled up in front of the church, got into the parking lot, into the place where, you know, he could get unloaded with his wheelchair. And um, uh, he he was definitely not well physically, but Mm -hmm. he was so present. And um, uh, there was the usual kirtan at the beginning and and, then... He got rolled in by Dossie, and there's Frank and I following behind and so on toward the stage, wheelchair, put on the stage. And he actually couldn't say anything. And I just remember um, this uh, sitting up on either side of him, uh, Frank and I, with him in the middle, uh, up on that stage, And it was the purest darshan Mm. I have ever experienced. He was Mm. just emanating loving awareness. Mm. And uh, uh, it went on for, I don't know, an hour and a half. And I was just stunned. It was so powerful. It was so totally transmissional. And then uh, we went back home And uh, Frank and I looked at each other, and it was just so clear that um, he was teaching us about what it really is to uh, be with dying. Mm. And he, you know, it's like we didn't have to talk. Nobody was talking. Mm. We were just in the field of pure presence and of course the place was just filled with young people and i mm-hmm. thought wow you don't have to bring language into this he's he is the teaching is so powerful about what it is to awaken um beyond language
3: it was uh it is like a field it still is that uh field i think and um As Sharon was saying, you know, the intimacy of that space uh, and the love that he emanated, radiated, however you want to say that, um, was so uh, profound. The the, um, intimacy that was between him and his caregivers so that I think they often felt like they were receiving more even than they were giving, even though they were taking care of his most intimate body functions, because he just couldn't, especially, you know, in the last year or so, it was hard for him to do anything. And he was, uh, but that acceptance and that openness to where he was, I, I, uh I think I was uh, uh, at at the end of the book I qu- was quoting the uh, end of the heart sutra that the uh, form is the form of the formless mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the formless is no other than form and he was living in that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: you know yeah. Ramesh I am so grateful you included this uh last photograph in the book and the last photograph of him before he died, of him, if you will, pointing, was it to Baba or to heaven or to space? It is such an incredible image.
3: Yeah, I love that one. Uh, it's, I don't know whether he's pointing or it's the, the sub-act, the all one finger of that, uh, you know, you can take that. However it comes to you. Well,
2: he's, he's just translucent, but he's yeah. in that image. But one of the things is you can I mean he has you feel that he has merged with boundlessness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's merged with space. He's in the ah, the very last uh syllable of the Heart Sutra.
1: Wow. And on that note, uh, Ramesh, I'm wondering if you would um, be able to lead us in a short meditation practice, sort of based on Ram Dass's transmission to us all.
3: Well, I'll give it a try. It's going to be, uh, as he often did, just winging it. And uh, let's see if he uh, wants to uh, join us. Um, you know his his, uh, the meditations that he led uh, toward the end were just um, he started out with uh, I am loving awareness and um, over time it began to uh, continue to evolve into just the I am kind of disappeared, and it was just loving awareness uh-huh. and love and awareness. I think those two um, parts of his being that that incredibly uh, wise, conscious um, being who had been through uh, psychology and psychedelics and Indian philosophy and such. Depth, and then had come to rest in the heart. So as we uh, sit together, let's just uh, let our mind sink into the heart. And if you want to come into your breath around the center of your chest and the diaphragm, then just... Allow yourself to relax into that, uh, into the rising and falling of the breath, and just be with it. And let yourself rest in that heart space, and in that uh, merging into love. That was the place that Ramdas was absorbed into, and uh, what he was calling the ocean of love. and allow the edges of our being to blur and to merge into that oneness. That oneness that we all share, that heart space. It isn't one or another of us that's just Ram. The great heart space, the heart mind, where we're just the breath. What Maharaji said of uh, Hanuman at one point, he said, he's the breath of Ram. May we all serve as the breath of Ram.
1: Well, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for joining me today and Ramdas, who came by, no doubt. Um, to learn more about the book, Being Ramdas, you can visit www.beingramdass, com, or find yourself a copy wherever books are sold. And a big thank you to all of you who've been listening. This has been the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you live with
0: ease. Hey folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalsberg.com.